0: the following message is from kings cross church in manchester new hampshire for more information please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com um if you have a bible you can turn to galatians uh before we get there on the screen i want to put up um first timothy 2 as we uh ask how we can process this last week Um, as many of you are aware, if you've been around here, if you've watched us online for any time. uh, I I have political opinions in my private life, uh, but from the pulpit, I very intentionally am nonpartisan, and as a church culture, we attempt to be nonpartisan as best we can. We do speak to political issues from time to time. Uh, But certainly this week's events were startling. I remember getting a text from Michelle, are you seeing what's going on? And I like immediately pull up the news, and then that's what I'm doing for the next six hours, you know, and so... Um, thankfully, uh, to my knowledge, nobody from our church was involved in uh, the events of Washington, and so um, I have no intention of speaking to the national stage or the national platform or any Twitter, Facebook nonsense, I don't know, TikTok, I just don't, it's not my world. You guys are my world. Um, I'm accountable to you. You guys are accountable to me. We are a church by together. And so that, that moderates how I speak to this. I, I don't, so I say that to say, like, I'm not getting up here, to like, denouncing this or that. Like, certainly the week's events were startling, they were shocking, and they were incredibly dangerous in a number of ways. Um, sadly, reports say that there were five people who were killed in one way or another this week. So I wanted to call us back to processing this week. Uh, we'll speak again to this in, in, in our opening for Galatians, but First Timothy 2, 1 to 4. This is the Apostle Paul's direction to the church in Ephesus, which would have been politically volatile as well. First of all, then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. It strikes me that amidst all the turmoil of the political landscape of the last year, um, certainly when we talk about it being kind of like a contentious and polarizing Uh, political landscape, you'd have to recognize that that's American politics from the beginning. We were started by a bunch of people who were uh, starting a revolt. So it's not like it's like suddenly new, but it certainly feels like it is um, closer to us. And Paul's commendation, his command is for us to desire to live a peaceful and quiet life. Um, these These weeks events show us that we live in a world uh, that is contentious, strident, and abrasive in many ways, and God's call to us in Jesus is to live as people who pray for those in government, regardless of whether you like their politics or not, right? You have to remember the early church had no votes. (laughs) They didn't vote for Nero, right? They didn't vote for any of those guys, And yet they are commanded to pray for those people who had their boot on their neck. Certainly we have a lot more liberties at our own disposal. And so we are called to pray for those in the government above us that serve us as public servants. The call of God upon us is to pray for them and to seek to live a peaceful and quiet life together. And the verse actually says that that pleases God. There's there's a lot of places in the Bible to talk about what pleases God. And what pleases God is when we live a peaceful and quiet life to, to continue to do what we're doing. So in many ways, I don't have a lot to say in terms of correction for any of us on this stuff. But my call is for us to, to commit together afresh as we go into 2021 and God knows whatever's ahead of us. You know, we are going to be committed to being a people that are living a peaceful and quiet life verse 3, which is good. It pleases God our Savior because he will use that as a witness to bring many, to bring all types of people to know Jesus. And two warnings for this amidst all of this, is to be wary of all the hot takes. I find hot takes, uh, they're a lot of fun, right? They're like candy corn. I like candy corn, you know, like I. We just did Halloween. You know what I'm talking about? Candy corn? Like, okay, some of you know what's good candy, and some of you don't know what good candy is. Hot takes are just like candy, right? They do nothing for you, they give you a little bit of a high, and then you have a bit of a downer afterwards. Be wary of all those hot takes and how you process the week's events. Keep your head sober and what's going on. And remember, we just, the second warning is remember, we just preached through Daniel. We have just worked through what is is God's call for us? To be pilgrims, to serve and love the culture around us, to work for its betterment and good, but recognize that they have a different agenda than God's kingdom and recognize that we live in the tension of that world. Okay? That's all I have to say about this. If you want any of my private comments, we can talk about it later, but from the pulpit, this is our direction to live a peaceful and quiet life in submission to God's word. With that said, we're not going to turn the book of Galatians. So you guys got a Bible? That was a mini sermon. Now we're going to go in the real sermon, okay? <laughs> we are starting out the book of Galatians. We are going to be in the book of Galatians until June. I think our schedule goes, I have it right here, our schedule, uh, secret schedule goes all the way to the end of June in the book of Galatians. And we will be in this for a long time because we want to take this book slowly and seriously. We just went through Ecclesiastes one chapter at a time. We went through Daniel one chapter at a time. And now we are going to slow down and take Galatians slower. This is probably, if you think of all the books in the Bible, this book has probably um, been at the center point of every church major event in the history of God's people. It has been at the center of the early church. It was at the center of the Reformation. It's been at the center of the Civil Rights Movement. It has been at the center of God's work and his people for centuries. So as we look through it, without making it a bigger deal than it should be, we're just gonna we're gonna look at this together and discover what God has for us in this. And so here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to open us by reading the five verses we're going to start out with. We're going to, if you'll notice, we're going to take this smaller chunks of the time. So we're just going to be doing five verses this morning and opening up Galatians, and then we will dive into this together. So here we have the beginning of the book of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's pray as we open these word, these verses together. Father, as we have just meditated, we want to be people who are submitted to your word and live at peace with each other and Uh, our neighbors around us, that you might draw many to know the goodness of who you are in Jesus Christ for us. And so, Father, as we open these verses together, I pray that we would experience the freedom that you offer us in Jesus, the freedom that you give us in who he is, the freedom of who you are for us, that we would be a people shaped to be like you. So it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's a lot of things that we could say about these verses to start out with, but what I, I want to draw your attention to is as we open up, um, Galatians, freed by grace, not revolt. So that, that's a little bit of a commentary this week, right? Galatians, however, I just want a little bit of some backstory in Galatians. Imagine with me that you live in a, in a uh, region or city whose history begins with a major revolt against the governing power of the day. Galatia, in the background of Galatia, is the Galatian Wars that would have happened around 184 uh, BC, right, you get that BC and AD thing. So imagine the the time period between now and who even knows what the War of 1812 is? A couple of you guys, like, man, you guys are so nerdy. I have to look it up, like, War of 1812 to now, like, that amount of time, like, past the Civil War, like, we the Civil War was, you know, what, 160 years ago, 150 years ago. Past that, that's how far back the Galatian War was. But the Galatian War was this moment where the region of Galatia tried to get out of Roman rule, and Rome came down and pounced and destroyed them. Like, there's still, like, major artifacts of art today related to to the Galatian War. Not only that, in the first century before the birth of Christ, there were, by what I, by my count, 22 revolts, in the Roman Empire, twenty two revolts. Then between the birth of Christ and the writing of this letter, this letter would have been written around forty four BC or AD, right? I'm sorry, I guess so I'm confused with it. A D. Would have been forty four fifty AD, around that time period, so about forty five to fifty years after the birth of Christ, there were fifteen revolts within the Roman Empire. And between the resurrection of Christ and the writing of this letter, there were, by many counts, six to seven revolts. Now, not only were there revolts, but there were revolts related to Jewish and Gentile relationships, right? Again, to go back a little bit, do you guys remember the phrase, intertestamental period? got some serious Bible nerds in here, maybe. It's that time period between Malachi and the beginning of the book of Matthew, 400 years or so. The Maccabean revolts, right? you got Jewish... Uh, Jew, uh, not not simply Jewish revolts, but Judas the Hammer. Man, I want a name like that. you got a guy named Judas the Hammer leading revolts against the Roman Empire. And then between this time period of the resurrection of Christ um, and the writing of the book of Galatians, you have a number of revolts specifically related continuing that issue of Jews saying, we want our own country, and Romans saying, not happening right? You've got a lot of those. And then add on to that, that in the first century, there were four claimants to be the Jewish Messiah. Three of those led revolts against the Roman Empire. Those guys, uh, well, actually all four of them were killed. Uh, You can imagine who the fourth one was. The fourth one did not lead a revolt. And that Messiah is the one who then produces this letter of Galatians. Right? And the background of Galatians is the very feeling that we all feel today of what is going on down there in D.C.? What is going on in our politics today? It feels charged. It feels volatile. It feels unstable. And it feels like there are multiple parties going after each other, vying for their version of freedom, vying for their version of control, vying to bring peace and order on their terms to a nation or a country. That is the context We can feel from this last week, we can use it actually as a gift from God to say that gets us into Galatians to understand. Here you have a letter written to a region of churches who have the audacity to bring multiple different types of people into one community and say, this is going to work out, right? Where do revolts come from? People wanting freedom, people wanting justice, sometimes people wanting revenge, religious freedom, political freedom, personal freedom. But here you have, in the Galatian area, you have the Jewish Messiah, who, by all accounts, rose from the dead. We believe that's true. And then he comes in and says to the Jews, he says, you know what, that temple that you guys got? Not so important anymore. You don't need that around. He also says to the Jewish people, all that family lineage and heritage and all you, your documented evidence of who you're descended from and all of that, actually, you know what? Not only does that not matter because I can make the family of God out of rocks, but the very family of God includes these Gentile people across the aisle from you. That's, that, those people are equally a part of the family of God too. And then he says to the people across the aisle, he says, you know what? There's a different king who rules and governs this entire world. And you know what, his order of creation is that men and women are created equal in his image. Women are not second class citizens. They are first class citizens right beside men, right? Not only that, but all your, ent- your entire economic system of masters and slaves, people being owned, actually those slaves are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ too, right? And you know what, all y'all people, <laughs> I'm not pointing left or right here, all y'all, y'all gonna be one big family and you're gonna make it work in me. You can feel, it would be almost like if you were to take somebody who is charging in the capitol building today, this last week, pluck them out of the capitol building, put them right here in our congregation, and then go take Nancy Pelosi and grab her and put her in the cap, from the capitol building right here and say, we're all one big family and we're gonna make it work in Jesus. That's the context of the book of Galatians. That's the backdrop because everybody wants freedom. People are going to fight to get it. But there's one king who comes in and by, by his own word says, I'm going to die to bring peace, not going to lead so that other people die to get our peace on their own terms. He's the one who then fights and brings our freedom by his own death and resurrection. So then when he gathers these people together in Galatia, who are a bunch of weirdos and whacked up people who had no business being together, into the one church body... He then says, you guys are going to make it work because of the power of who I am, right? How we find the Galatian Galatian situation was incredibly tenuous, right? As we look through this book, we're going to see, you guys remember how uh, you're going to see how Paul gets up in Peter's face and there are all these contentious situations going on. Paul corrects the apostle Peter, right? If you're from a Catholic background, you're like, bro, like, that's not merely just correcting the Pope. That's like the Pope. Like, he's the one who gets to claim to be the capital T Pope. Not that that's true, but I'm just saying, like, that's from the Catholic background. He's the big guy. Uh, Paul corrects him and brings him under, uh, brings him into line with what the gospel truly is, what true freedom really is. And often, we, like Peter, find our own agendas of how we want to find our own freedom in our own ways and Galatians is offering us, you don't find freedom in any of these other political movements. Uh, You don't find freedom through charismatic leaders. You do not find freedom by destroying everything around you. Uh, You don't find freedom in any other way but finding it through Jesus Christ and who he is, right? So as we begin this book, to begin the book of Galatians, the place that Paul starts us out is not so much what God has done for them in Jesus. He starts us out with who God is. He starts us out with not merely like what the gospel has accomplished for us, but he starts us out with a reminder, a direction back to who God is in and of himself. So here's the main point of this passage, and then we're going to kind of begin to look through this as we unpack this. The call of these first five verses is find true freedom in God's rescuing nature, right? We We don't find true freedom merely in what God has accomplished for us, but we find it in who he is for us. We find freedom in who God is in and of himself. We find true freedom not merely in the grace that he gives us, but in his gracious person who God is, right? It's not merely that God just kind of comes in and leads a revolt against Satan, sin, and death by the death and resurrection of Jesus, and yea, aren't we free? It's actually that God wants you to know Him, to experience who He is, and in experiencing Him, finding freedom in Him. So, God's rescuing nature is the foundation of our true freedom. And so here's what we're going to do. Verse 1 to 2. We're going to start out by discovering this in the passage, by seeing God's rescuing nature. Seeing God's rescuing nature. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Now, uh, the book of Galatians, because it is a bit of a contentious, like, this this book has a bit of some boxing gloves on it right like it comes out swinging and you can begin to start read this passage and think paul an apostle and here he is just starting out from the beginning duking it out being like ain't none of y'all giving me my title right like I'm an apostle because God made me an apostle like is paul like just coming out of the gate and just showing his arrogance i mean imagine like if I were to say hey guys uh i'm jacob I'm the pastor at King's Cross church uh you guys didn't have anything to do with this. Who cares about you guys? I'm just a pastor. I mean, that would be awkward, right? <laughs> I mean, it might be, I just read a book on narcissism, and I'm like, that would be like a narcissist, right? Narcissist kind of says, like, I am who I am, and you guys better recognize right? You got to recognize the skills, right? Is that what Paul is doing here, saying basically, you guys ain't got nothing to do with this. I'm an apostle because God told me, and you guys have to recognize that, right? Well, that's functionally, that's not even true, Right? Uh, Barnabas had a big deal to do with Paul's apostleship in the book of Acts. You look at Acts chapter 9, you see a, Barnabas helping him out. Um, but what Paul is getting at, you notice it's not just other people aren't involved. It's apostolos. Is this Greek word. Apostolos means sent. He is an emissary. It's not merely like, um, hey, Owen, go and get you know, my coffee cup from the other room. He is given the authority. He is an apostle. He's given the authority, the character to represent The one who sends him. That's what the word originally means, which means that when we look at what does it mean for Paul to be the apostle here who starts out, we have to ask, who is the character? What's the person like who sends him? Who's the one that he represents? That's what the apostle, that's what to be an apostle means, which is in fact exactly where Paul goes, right? Right? He says, not from men nor through men, right? It's not that he's saying, look, I didn't have an ordination process or I didn't, the church wasn't involved. What he's going at is the nature of what it means for him to be an apostle. What does he represent as Paul the apostle? He represents the one that he got his apostleship through, which is Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, God doesn't simply promote him. You notice that the action which he describes God doing here in these, this for a phrase Jesus, through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is what makes him an apostle, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, which was a shared will of God the Father. So when he talks about his apostleship, he immediately goes back to, what am I representing? I am representing the character of God himself. And what is God's character? God is A gracious, giving, saving type of God. God's posture to save us is because he is gracious in who he is. You notice, even before we kind of say, what is it that Jesus accomplished is what we'll look at next. What is God doing in this foundation of what he's saying? God the Father sends the Son, right, before we get to what the Son does uh, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that action of sending represents, it shows us the type of character of who God is. Before God does salvation, God is gracious. That's what Paul is saying here. Before God accomplishes your salvation through Jesus, he is giving. That is what Paul is drawing our attention to here but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So not merely is he sending Jesus, but he is overcoming the very enemy of our souls, the very enemy that we face death and eternal death. He is saying all of those things are wrapped up in the character of God who gives Jesus to overcome them. God's posture to save us is because he is gracious in who he is. Right? If we think God has become gracious because we're sinners... That means he isn't gracious in his nature. It's an afterthought, right? What Paul is saying is that, look, salvation is essential, is necessary, not merely because we need it, but but primarily because God is a gracious, giving God in and of himself. It's who he is, right? He's not a poser, right? Imagine me, like, wearing, like, skater gear, you know, And being like, hey guys, like you ever go on the half pipe? Isn't it fun? Like I'd be like a poser, right? But I'm trying to get in with a cool crowd because all the cool crowds skate, right? Or it'd be like people giving like a big financial gift at the end of the year only because they want to get the tax write-off for whatever organization they give to, right? They want to appear gracious, but it's not actually who they are, right? They want to give, yeah, I want to give, but it's kind of like, well, it's just kind of an afterthought. Like your salvation of saving you is not an afterthought of God, right? And it's not even something he has to figure out along the way, right? This last week, um, my son Isaac got a, is it a perplexus, is that what those are called? Okay, so do you guys know what a perplexus is? It's this wicked, crazy maze inside a big plastic orb, and you have to move the little, pla- the little marble thing around. It's very frustrating. You look at it, and you're kind of like, oh, I could do this, and then you're about two steps in, you're kind of like, I'm so angry right now, I could throw this across the room. But it got broken, and I had to figure out how to fix it, right? Is that because, like, I am innately a handyman who knows how to fix all the problems in the world? I'm not Mike Stone, right? I'm not, (laughs) I don't know how to do woodworking. I'm not a handyman. I'm not Mike Gwine's master carpenter. I am just kind of figuring out along the way. Your salvation is not God figuring out how to be gracious along the way. Your salvation in Jesus is the result of the character and nature of who God is in Himself. He is a gracious, giving God because that's who He is, period. And so when Paul says, I'm an apostle of this God, he is saying, I represent a gracious, all capable, infinitely giving God for all of what God is doing in and through you, right? So that's where he goes, verse two, right? Did you notice that? Paul, an apostle, we'll just put those, Yeah, in my edition here, it has a dash, and then it has that gracious giving God part. Finish the dash, to all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. If you've read Galatians before, you know that these guys have got some serious problems to get fixed. And Paul is probably writing with a bunch of people Around him who have some serious problems that need to get fixed. But both of those people are included, all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia without exception. Our problems are not a surprise to God, and they are not outside of his capacity to meet us with his infinite giving self. so when Paul writes this book, and he addresses it, you know, by extension to King's Cross Church in twenty twenty one you might say, the gracious giving God who saved you through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He writes this letter to us who are fraught with anxieties and depression and PTSD from all that's gone on in the last year, all of which is able to be met by this gracious giving God who is in and of himself, not trying to figure out how to help you along the way, but is himself giving you himself because he is a giving God. So, I mean how are we starting 2021? I mean, we're seven day, days in or 10 days in. I know some people were trying to like turn on their subscriptions to 2021. They're like, hey, can we just skip to 2022? Like, we've done the seven-day trial. No thanks. God says to you, whatever has gone on for you in the last year, whatever you enter this year with, whatever hang-ups, weaknesses, failures, sins, whatever sort of PTSD, whatever sort of depression or anxiety... Each one of those things, God looks at them and says, I give myself for those needs in your life, and I'm not figuring it out along the way. God himself is your healing that he offers. Is God enough? Is God giving enough of himself for whatever 2021 holds in your life? And the answer is always yes. So it's not merely that God is giving of himself, but it is that God is himself accomplishing a mission. So that's what we're going to look at here, verses 3 to 4. We are not able, not only seeing verses 1 and 2, God's, uh, seeing God's rescuing posture towards us, we are enjoying God's rescuing mission. So let's pick up here and let's just look at verses 3 to 4 for a moment. Here's the big introduction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our according to the will of our God and Father. I'm just going to pause there because we'll come back to verse five here in a minute. The grace and peace. Are the result of God's initiative the grace and peace that Paul writes to them? He says, "Grace and peace to you." Is the result of God's initiative towards His people, from the garden to the cross, God is the pursuer, right? The mission of God to seek and save the lost starts back in the very beginning of Genesis. God is Himself. You will, you might say, the first and primary missionary, right? Who is it that pursues Adam and Eve after they have totally screwed things up in the beginning of the book? It is God himself. He is the one who pursues them. God is the missionary to rectify the problems, right? God is the one who pursues the people who have rejected him. God is the one who pursues the people who you might say have rioted their fist in his face. You want an illustration of what sin is? This last week, we can look at all that stuff and say, that is an illustration of my heart's rebellion and rioting against God's rule and reign in my life. Sin is rioting against God's reign in our lives, saying, God, I want it on my own terms. I know you created it. I got a better idea of how to do this. Get out. And then God, the primary one offended, The primary one accosted by our rejection and rioting against him is himself the one who comes to pursue us, to heal us. He is the first and primary missionary. And I want you to notice here, turn back with me, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's Jesus Christ, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. I want to press this because sometimes the way we can hear the gospel presented is as though Jesus Christ is stepping in amidst God the Father swatting us for our sin, as though Jesus Christ is somehow standing in front of an abusive God God in heaven because he wants to get rid of our sin and punish us. It is God the Father and God the Son who, it was their idea to save us, There is not two wills like a God the Father who's really angry with us and about to punch us in the face for our sin and God the Son who steps in and says, no, and takes the punch for us. It is God the Father and God the Son, one will, that looks at us at our death and sin and rebellion against him and says, I want them to be with me. I want them freed from their sin. I want them freed from their rejection and rioting against me. I want them To be sons and daughters of the living God. So God the Father and God the Son, we can get into this another time, they have a covenant in eternity where they say, we want to make these people our own. And the way they become sons is through the Son himself taking on flesh and dying in our place so that we could then have God our Father in heaven to be our true Father because of our older brother Jesus Christ. And he dies to save us. You'll notice he delivers us. Verse 4, he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Again, sometimes the gospel can be made really small by saying, Jesus died for your sins, period. Period this presents a macro and micro picture of the gospel and the way only way paul the apostle paul can do which is incredibly concise occasionally he says he died for your sin to deliver you from the present evil age. Your sin is a personal offense against God. The present evil age is a culture rejecting God, and yet he has died to save us from both, to renew both, to renew you, and to renew the culture around you through the power of the gospel. It is a gospel that is not merely at you, but it is around the whole world. It affects everything. The gospel is intended to affect you, both at a micro level. My sin, oh, the voice of this wonderful thought was nailed to the cross, and I I bear it no more. We sing that on one hand, and then we sing on the other hand, this is my Father's world. And though the trouble and the pain of this world seems so strong, He is the ruler yet. He is renewing all things in this world. And so this gospel has a micro and macro effect. It is not merely just our personal sin. So this is what gives us the grace and peace in Jesus Christ. See, verse 6, we're going to look into this next year, or next week, sorry, not next year. Next week, I'm astonished you should so quickly desert from the gospel. All right? Paul picks up and he starts punching with those gospel, gospel uh, punching gloves in the next verse. We can often shortchange around what the gospel truly is for us. We must not shortcut what the gospel is. We must not try to find another gospel The call for us is to be Christ-centered, to experience who this Jesus is for us. Right? This micro, macro level, he has come for us. And the way in which we fight against this culture that wants to go one way or the other, how oh, it's all about systemic X. It's all about personal responsibility. Why? It is both. The gospel affects both. And so, the way in which we push against the culture's for us to be polarized one way or the other is to regularly and habitually meditate on who this gracious missionary God is for us. He has pursued us, and so to be Christ-centered in a regular, habitual way is to make sure that before we get consumed with our big ideas to how to fix God's work among us, we have a steady and regular enjoyment of God's big idea in Jesus. All right, this is why we talk about rhythms of grace on a regular basis around here. We're talking about personal disciplines, talking about spiritual friendship and spiritual practices and those sort of things. Those are the ways in which we make sure that we are regularly engrafting ourselves into God's big story and his micro story in us. Culture will lead you one way or the other. The way to think about culture is it does the behind the scenes thinking for you and you will begin to have the culture influence you, whatever your predilection is, whether you're on the right or the left, whatever, don't care. Your cultural situation will begin to do the thinking for you and lead you away from being shaped and changed by this culture of who Jesus is for us. That he gave himself a self-giving God who gives himself and dies in our place so that we can then be renewed through him and by him but personally culturally around us, if we are not regularly meditating on him and having that begin to change the culture and background thinking of our mind, the culture around us will begin to do the cultural thinking for us and polarize us one way or the other. We're going to see that through the book of Galatians. We're going to see that, and that, that's primarily what's going on with Peter when we get to chapter 2. So the call of these verses is to say, are you enjoying the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and are you enjoying that this missionary God pursued you and gave himself for your sins to deliver you from the present evil age according to the loving will of your Father in heaven. So with that idea of culture, what culture we're going to live in, let's end by looking at this idea, live in God's rescuing culture verses 2 to 3. 3. I know this is kind of two to three and verse five. We're just going to kind of slice it a bit different. Verses two to three. Paul is writing with all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see it's not merely that God is himself, a, a gracious, self-giving God. That's who he is, period. And it's not merely that he's the missionary God who pursues you and saves you in Jesus, period. It's that he is giving you himself and inviting you into this culture of who he is. We're going to see all through the book, the, the Spirit's mentioned, right? There's a keeping in step with the Spirit, the Spirit is mentioned, the Spirit, uh, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. You've got all the stuff of the Spirit that is being produced in you because God the Father has sent the Son to make you a part of the inner culture of the Trinity. The Trinity has invited you into its life so that you then, with all the brothers and people that you don't like, right, the people that you think, how could they possibly do that? How could they possibly think that? Those are the people that are being addressed by this letter to the Galatians. And, And you, because they think the same things about you, right? they and us, we are being invited in to live in God's rescuing culture that brings us into his presence so that the people, you know, if we, ha- we have these invisible people that we invited into our church, we have Nancy Pelosi, and we have the guy carrying some crazy, you know, carrying the, the podium out of the Capitol building, <laughs> or the guy putting his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Both of those, that type of people who are so polar opposites. They are the ones that are being invited with us to be a part of this rescuing culture so that amidst a culture surrounded by riots and, and confusing dynamics and all of that, we have a culture here who says, We have a God whose heart is big enough for all of us idiots to be one family in Jesus together. We need a gospel, gracious, Christ-infused culture that invites all of us to live together in Jesus. I will say that I am concerned, and this isn't at anybody, it's probably more to myself than anybody else's, so I'm counseling from the pulpit. I'm concerned that we live in an abrasive culture and we will become abrasive people for Jesus. The world around us is caustic, abrasive and confusing, and it can harden my heart towards living in the steps of Jesus to be a giving person, a gracious person for those around. me. God the Father gives the Son to rescue us. The Son gives us deliverance from our sins and the power of this world. Our triune God gives us power to live for a different kingdom. That's what we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit later. We must be a people that live in such a way that we are shaped to be like this God because that is the only way he gets glory. He gets glory through bringing all these weird, whacked out, broken, sinful people together, calling them to live under his gracious, peaceful banner in Jesus, verse 5, and that's how he gets the glory. So when we read the book of Galatians... We do not want to be like Paul and think, ah, all those people, we can take the, Paul's example and bat them around with whatever theological issue. Paul is driving us back to seeing what we think about freedom and how we go about getting freedom often reflects what we think about God himself. Or to put it another way, how we find freedom shows what we think what God is like. So for example… Angry people think God is missing, messing up and God's position and God's position towards them is rage. Angry people think that, you know what? God's messing this up. I've got to figure out how to get this right on my terms and God's missing the mark. So freedom comes by me being angry in this moment to get my way or to get what's right. Lustful people think that God's holding out on them, that God is... A prude. God does not like our, create, our bodies or it creates pleasure to be sequestered off in a little cubbyhole in the back and that I'm going to get it in my own way, however I want it. You see, we find freedom in lust, anger, contentious postures because we think that we can get the world on our own terms, which means that we don't think that God is enough or that God got it under control. But Paul says at the very beginning of this letter, we have a gracious, self-giving God who's not figuring it out along the way. He is himself giving. And he has created a world so that we can experience his giving posture towards us. And yet we have been the ones who have broken and wrecked it along the way. And so he pursues us because of who he is in and of himself, not figuring it out, but he pursues us so that we can experience his life-changing freedom because of who he is. And what he does through the cross and resurrection of Jesus reflects who he is and invites us to know him. So, I pray that as we begin this series in Galatians, with so much turmoil and confusion, deception and power plays going around us, we must ask this question. Can we meet a genuine person and know the life-giving truth about them? The answer is yes. And the answer is that God himself is that person. I pray that we're a church that reflects that in who we are, that we are gracious, self-giving people because of who God is. But at the end of the day, Paul's invitation for us is to find true freedom in God's rescuing nature because God's rescuing nature is the foundation, is the genesis, is the origin of true freedom. So let's pray to experience that. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure